What do you want for Christmas, little boy? <laughs> My mind had gone blank. Frantically, I tried to remember what it was I wanted. I was blowing it, blowing it. Come on, kid. How about a nice uh, football? 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 What's a football? <laughs> Without conscious will, my voice squeaked out. Football. Okay, get him out of here. A football? Oh, no. Okay, what was I doing? Christmas. Wake up, stupid. Wake up. No. Shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Toyland, Toyland, little girl and boyland. While you dwell. Welcome to FW Presents and a special Christmas episode of Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys, or Those Wonderful Toys for short. I'm your host, Chris Franklin, and what better time to talk about those wonderful toys than on the eve when most of us got our own wonderful toys as kids. When old Saint Nick, or mom, or dad, or grandma, and grandpa, or whoever, came through with that one mind-blowingly awesome gift. A few years back on Supermates, actually episode number 45, that's the show that I host and produce with my wife, Cindy. I discussed the toys I best remembered getting as Christmas gifts. I basically ran down every year of my childhood that I could remember and talked about the big and memorable gifts that I got that year. Well, this year, I thought it would be fun to ask some of my fellow Fire & Water All-Stars to share their memories of at least one Christmas and that one gift that stands out in their memories as the pinnacle of their childhood holiday experience. Like a Christmas Stories Ralphie with his official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 shot model air rifle, there are just some gifts that leap to mind when we think Christmas. Especially childhood Christmas. Along the way, I'll dig a bit deeper into a few of my own Christmas toy memories as well. So let's get started with a toy memory from Fire & Water co-poobah Rob Kelly. Death Star of Wonder. Death Star of Might. Death Star blew up Alderaan bright. Rob is leading the proceedings. Guide us to a playset done right. On Christmas morning, 1978, in our row home in Philadelphia, I crept down the stairs wondering what Santa Claus had left me. 
There were a few wrapped goodies with my name on them, but one of them towered literally above the rest. Could it be? That's no moon. It's a space station. I tore off the wrapping, and it was the exact item I had hoped for. Kenner's Death Star playset. Opening the box, instantly devaluing it in hindsight. I marveled at the three levels of detail. A platform for an ion cannon, good for shooting down X-Wing fighters. A middle level that featured a retractable walkway, which would force Luke and Leia to swing over the chasm, just like they did in the movie. And at the bottom level, a trash compactor, which came with blue and yellow chunks of garbage rendered in foam, as well as a hard plastic one-eyed creature, which would later be known as the Dianoga. Attached to all three levels was an elevator that could carry several Star Wars figures up and down. I was not, and never have been, mechanically inclined, but that did not stop me from putting together this baby. I opened the instructions and accompanying sheet of stickers and went to work. As I snapped the plastic pieces together, little did I know that my parents took a picture of me engrossed in my own little world. That picture survives to this day. Also pictured? A 12-inch Chewbacca and a 12-inch Mego Hulk. It was one hell of a Christmas. The Death Star playset provided me with literally hours, hundreds of hours, of playtime as I put the various Kenner figures through their paces. I loved putting together different configurations of heroes and villains in the trash compactor, and not all of them escaped in time. Kenner's Star Wars line could do no wrong during those years, but to me their Death Star ranks alongside the Millennium Falcon as their highest achievements in bringing the Star Wars universe into kids' living rooms. I held on to my Star Wars toys for many years, eventually giving them away to a cousin, a move I still regret to this day. A quick look on eBay shows that a boxed Death Star in only moderately beat-up condition runs about $250. Any of you nuclear subs up for a GoFundMe page? Why do I have a feeling a GoFundMe page may actually pop up after this episode? You know, I have often lamented that I missed the Star Wars bandwagon because my parents thought I was too young to go see the movie. They took me to the premiere downtown here in Cynthia, Kentucky to meet Darth Vader, who actually was my mom's boss in a Darth Vader outfit. And they, for whatever reason, thought that, oh, he's not going to be traumatized by this giant, big, huge man in a black costume that's got this mask on. But, you know, we'll take him to see that, but we'll take him into the movie. I, I know this story has been beaten to death on all our podcasts, but it always bears repeating when Star Wars comes up. And, you know, it's going to come up again. So there we go. So while I had a few Star Wars figures and toys growing up, it wasn't the huge present it was in the lives of most kids who were around my age growing up. So now I'm really envious of Rob. So is this what David A. Gutierrez always feels like? And the Dianoga, why was it on the Death Star anyway? Is it like an Imperial version of Red X? You know, the thing that you put in your septic tank that's like basically like bacteria that eats up the poo in your septic tank? You know, did the Empire say, no, nah, we don't need that stuff. Just get some one-eyed, you know, mutant critter to crawl around down there and eat up stuff. It's really strange. But it's really cool that Kenner included it because, you know, the movie wasn't iconic yet. So the fact that they had, you know, where Luke could swing across and they had so many actual things that were in the movie. It wasn't just generic playset, slap the word Death Star on it and call it good. They actually built in functions from the movie into the toy, which is really cool, especially for the time. Kenner was awesome and headquartered just up the road from us in Cincinnati, Ohio. And actually, Cindy brought this up on another uh, Supermates episode, but it bears repeating here. One year at our Christmas parade here in Cynthiana, 
you know, people usually throw candy from the floats. Somebody, I'd love to know who this was and how they got them. They were throwing little salacious crumb figures in the Kenner baggies out into the crowd. I got one. And I knew what it was because I had a friend that had the Jabba's Palace playset. And I'm like, where did this come from? And I, and I saw Kenner and I thought, because I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, I thought it was cool that I got it. But I'm like, okay, is there a mask figure? Because this was like 1985 or, you know, six or something like that. Are, are there superpowers figures? You know, these are Kenner baggies and the mask figures came in baggies like that. But, you know, anyway, I still love to know who that was. Somebody here had a connection with somebody that worked at Kenner. But again, Death Star, fantastic playset. And speaking of playsets, I got my fair share over the years, beginning with my beloved Mego Batcave. got that and the Batmobile for Christmas one year. It was probably 76 or 77, I would think. Maybe Batman or Robin, but I may have already had at least Batman. I'm not, I'm a little foggy on that. You know, cut me a break. I was like, you know, two or three. So I have vivid memories of sliding my figures down the bat pole and ramming my Batmobile through the cave exit. I even busted the latch. But of course that wasn't real hard because the whole thing was just vinyl covered cardboard. You know, I mean, Mego, you know, their Planet of the Apes playset was like that. The Enterprise Bridge was like that. The Hall of Justice, which I now own, I didn't own back then, is like that. So, you know, not surprising that the Batcave was made that way. Kenner was one of the first toy companies that really upped the game with, like, all plastic playsets that were durable, uh, you know, that that weren't flimsy. Uh, they, you know... They changed the game across the board, but that's another case where they changed the game. But I did own another vinyl-covered playset in the Mego vein, but more on that in a bit. But first, we have a toy memory invasion with the hosts of the First Strike Invasion podcast, Siskoid and Bass. Have yourself a Siskoid and Bass Christmas. Let their memories alight. Rob won't like it, but the Transformers will be in sight. Have yourself a Siskoid and Bass Christmas. Lots of He-Man play. From now on, Bass buys his kid what he wanted back in the day. From the First Strike Invasion Podcast desk, this is Siskoid and Bass. Toys, 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 toys. We're talking about toys. We're talking about toys at the behest of our friend uh, Chris Franklin. Where does he get those wonderful toys? He's got so many toys. I know. I don't know. He's a toy guy. 
He's a toy guy. I am not a toy guy. You are not a toy guy. So, I, I was once a toy guy. I enjoy toys. I'm not saying I don't have toys. I've got some like Doctor Who you do? toys. A plenty. Yeah. Uh, they're not all in this room. No, they're <laughs> not. Yeah. But as growing up, we're talking about toys you might have gotten for Christmas and yeah. have a strong memory of. I do not have those memories. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, I have very few toys that I remember next to the Christmas tree. Well, you know what? I, I have a couple I did just wanted so much. When I was younger, I was a big Spider-Man kid. I wanted everything Spider-Man or Superman. But there there wasn't a lot of Superman other than the movie. Uh, well, the movies came out, but, you know, I had, like, capes and stuff like that. But Spider-Man had all these wonderful, you know, like the spider car and the... Sp- the dune buggy? Yeah, yeah, I, I had that. And oh. I remember the Christmas I did get that, and and that was just a wonderful time. I just, I just, I was just so happy and uh growing up i also you know i wanted everything i wanted optimus prime didn't get i didn't get it i didn't get optimus prime i wanted you know i wanted he-man but i got like this multiple damage he-man chest thing i didn't really like that because i had that masters of the universe collection i remember a christmas where i did get a number of figures yeah and i remember like checking the package like sort of ripping off the (laughs) scotch tape to see which ones so that i could still buy myself some figures (laughs) yeah without you know duplicating yeah and uh you know what's really disappointing when you get a masters of the universe toy is getting someone that's got the exact same mold as another so whatever that um Whatever he's called, the the blue He-Man is a robot. Oh, I don't remember. He's got a name like but, Reject yeah. or something. Yeah. And uh, so getting that guy is like, or Prince Adam. Yeah. Nobody wanted Prince Adam, but when it came to Masters of the Universe, I was also a Master of the Universe, you know, fan because I I love these morning cartoons and and I got one of my favorite characters ever, and it was Ram, the one with the springy legs that just hit stuff with his head. Sure. And I had that guy. Who had the Ram action thing, and I was really happy to have Ram. But later on in life, I became like this video game kid. Uh, so first time we had a ColecoVision. Oh, it's an old console. It had like it's Donkey Kong. Atari owners were jealous of. Well, it had a, a higher bitrate. Yeah. Houses. Well, more colors, you know, it had uh, better graphics. Remote control was weird. The remote control it was, was like a little awful. Wheel. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was like, like this. Like a little metal wheel. I, I, I had a new one. Oh. I was one of those oh, who, who got a new joystick. type of joystick for the control, the, or, or a new controller for the, the thing. And, you know, I, I loved that thing. And later on, I had this, you know, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And then later, I, I basically had all the consoles. And for me, it was books. You had books. So mostly, yeah, that's what I Well, that's your problem. Like a, book, a bookish kid, so I got a lot of books and yeah. comics. and I, It's not like I didn't have any toys. I just don't have very strong memories of any toys. <laughs> I remember maybe some Micronauts. I remember, you know, a Light Bright yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. For I when you want to just draw with uh, beads. See, I remember Light Bright, but it was my sister's. Yeah, but your sister's my age. So yeah, you're the exact. Where we were, yeah. and you're close—not quite, but closer to my brother's. Yeah. My brother's age, and he had all the GI Joe stuff, yeah. and he had all the Transformers. Stuff. Yeah. But I did, I did get. See, I, I always wanted like the big ones, but I had my favorites. 
because I didn't get Optimus Prime when I was younger. I, I, I loved the Transformers. I, my dad liked the Transformers also. He liked that idea of, you know, cars becoming, you know, robots who fight, you know. And uh, I didn't get Optimus Prime, but I wanted the Jeep, the military Jeep one. I can't remember his name. Ironhide, uh, I think. I got him all my life. I was just, I just loved him. Is that your featured toy? For that was that was uh, yeah, I think so. I the one I really wanted, but I was a bit older, so I think my parents just said, "Meh, yeah, no, nah, we're not going to do that." I really wanted Voltron because I was always a big giant robot fan because of uh, uh, here it's Godrak in in the U.S. I think it's Grandizer. He's called mm-hmm. the first and only anime I always you know I liked, and uh, it was this giant robot and uh, Voltron kind of recreated that giant robot love for me so I wanted the five lions to create Voltron never got it never got it because I was too old I guess for my parents mm-hmm. so uh, this year Voltron's back on Netflix and stuff like that and my kid loves it so uh, I got him the Voltron you got him the toy you I wanted. got him the, the toy I wanted which is always what parents do Hey. That's that's what parents do. Hey, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm sort of saying I didn't I don't remember much in the way of toys when I was a kid, but really all the toys I remember were essentially my brothers. <laughs> you know, and we yeah. would just play we just play as you know as a family unit. It doesn't matter uh, who's they actually were. And unlike the books, which I've and I still have many 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 books from my youth. Really. Today, because people don't throw away books. No, and that's a that's a bad thing. But toys. Toys. Yeah. Um, a lot of you know a lot of toys I had. I think I had to rescue my like superpowers figures, which are not Christmas gifts, but stuff like that. My superpowers and my Marvel Secret Wars yeah. uh, figures from that era. I I kept close because all that other stuff was just given away. And the Secret Wars figures, mm-hmm. the the paint would just come yeah, off just really come off. easily, so you had to take care of them, or yeah. you know you'd have just all red. <laughs> yeah, or my, my, my Doctor Doom is all green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have any of the circuitry. It's shitty paint oh, on it. Probably full of lead. But, you know, yeah. Your kid is getting that for Christmas this year? My kid is getting the present I wanted 25 years ago. Well, <laughs> that's cool. Well, I hope you get what you want for Christmas. Not oh, just yeah. you, I mean everyone listening at home. Whether toys or not. So, uh, Merry t- Christmas from the Invasion Desk. Merry Christmas. Thanks, guys. That was a fun bit. Lots of toy memory goodness to unpack there. First off, yes, on the Secret Wars paint rubbing off. I have a nearly all-red Daredevil, like the flesh of his face. You know, Daredevil's lower face shows through his mask. It's gone. He's like, if what's left looks like Daredevil suffers from psoriasis. I mean, it's it's just, it's awful. And the DD's gone. The, the few scant lines that were used to illustrate his boots and his glove and his belt, they're practically gone. He's just like a red blob. He's like almost like a red, completely red action. It looks more like the Human Torch than Daredevil at this point. <laughs> My Spider-Man's missing webs. Captain America's abdomen. It's, a, it's just like, what did, you know... I mean, I like Secret Wars, but yeah, it is the red-headed step-sister uh, of superpowers. There's no comparison between those two lines. Anybody that says there is, you might have fond memories of Secret Wars, but as far as quality, no no comparison. No comparison. Battle Damage He-Man. That was the second He-Man they made. Master of the Universe started the variant action figure movement. You know, keep the main characters out in different forms 
that weren't from the TV show or the books or whatever. I mean, yeah, sure, there were different versions of Luke. They were actually in the movie, you know, different versions of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. But for He-Man, they just started making up stuff. And the battle damage, they made a battle damage, He-Man and Skeletor. And they were kind of fun. You could flick them and, the, you know, there was like a little rolling thing inside their chest. And it was like, you know, had the, the He-Man had an H on his chest, which I always thought was weird because uh, the original one didn't. But you flick it and it would roll over and there'd be a, like one like sword, uh, you know, dent, like somebody had like hit him in the chest and then you hit it again and like there'd be two and make an X. So it was pretty cool. Hey, I liked Prince Adam, but I'm a secret identity guy. Oh, and the blue evil robot duplicate of He-Man is called Faker. Those Masters of the Universe guys were real original with names. Yeah. I believe the Transformers Jeep that Bass was so fond of was called Hound. Uh, I actually love that the fellas' memories are a bit foggy. Our memories of childhood are often very gauzy, and sometimes reality isn't nearly as nice as those memories we have, so stick with those. It's like, you know, watching an old cartoon that you, man, this thing was like, this was like more adult than the other cartoons I watched. It was like edgier and stuff, and then you watch it now, and it's like, oh, this is just exactly like the Super Friends. Oh, okay. So, yeah, like Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, not nearly as edgy as I remembered it being. Still fun, but it's really not hardly any different than the Super Friends. A little more smart-alecky, but that's about it. Siskoid mentioned another toy line I didn't partake in, Micronauts. I never had a single one. My parents probably scoffed at all those little small parts. I can just see my mom. My mom was, whenever I bought a G.I. Joe or that had a lot of accessories, she was always like, don't open it in the car. You'll lose all the guns. And she was right. And I would open it in the car, and I'd lose all the guns before I even got home. So, yeah. And the Mego Spider Car, which we've covered on this show, Way to go, Bass. All right. So that actually brings me to my second toy memory that I kind of was talking about before. The other vinyl place that I had. It's much more obscure than the Mego Batcave. For a while, it was a Sears exclusive. And it may have been at retail as well, but it's mostly known as a Sears exclusive. You had to get it through the Sears catalog. And it wasn't even made by Mego, although it was technically made to be played with, with Migos. Lots of toy companies did that back then, you know supplement a toy line, mow the, mow the toy company's grass in a lot of ways. What I'm talking about was the Hulk hideaway playset. During the Hulk merchandising explosion brought about by the hit TV series starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, of course, Tara Toys, famous for making play cases to store your action figures and die-cast cars, made their own Mego-like playset. It looked like some kind of cave fortress, not unlike something that Bruce Banner and Rick Jones had in like the early comic books. You know, it featured an often used stock image of the Hulk. I think it was a John Romita image running out of its doors on the front. And I remember there's a couple weird things about it. On the other side, there's like a, like a ladder, or like a wooden ladder, like leading up to like a hole, I guess, that you're supposed to be able to technically crawl through. It's just a picture. There's no hole there. It's just a, you know, that's what vinyl play cases did there was a lot of graphics on there that didn't there you just had to use your imagination you know which we'll get back to and actually the outside of this thing looks similar to the Mego Batcave although it's less colorful it's Mego Batcave I'm looking at the one I got the, the one I got now it's not the one I had as a kid but it's the exact same kind but it's got lots of purples and blues this was more like just a straight white looking cave but it was pretty cool uh so you basically you open this thing up and there were no walls. It became like a, a play mat, basically. 
Uh, there were graphics on the area that showed like walkways. The floor was rock. But there were things that were obviously supposed to be like up off the floor and, you know, you had to use your imagination. Like there was a big, you know, some big radiation equipment, like almost looks like the thing that, you know, the spider drops in between in the original Spider-Man origin story, things like that. And um, it did come with a couple of uh, pasteboard pieces of equipment. One was just like a computer, kind of like the back computer that the Mego Batcave came with. But most interestingly, a transmutation chamber that you were supposed to use to change Bruce Banner into the Hulk and back and forth. And how you did this was the set came with a pasteboard cutout of Bruce Banner in like a gray jumpsuit. He looked like he was wearing the type of thing the Teen Titans wore when they gave up their powers in the late 60s. It was kind of odd. Kind of like what Mal Duncan usually wore, but in gray, which sometimes it was gray. But uh, you had Banner, and then you had a pretty standard-looking comic book-looking Hulk. Uh, the idea was to put them in this chamber, and it, it you could turn part of it around. It was basically like, you know, the Star Trek transporter, the way it worked, or the, the thing in the Hall of Justice. But it was, you know, very low-tech because it was all paper, you know. But it was still pretty neat. And, you know, what's really funny is that the Sears catalog showed the Hulk, the Mego Hulk, in the transmutation chamber. They're like, you know, basically, kids, throw out that paper Hulk you got. We can't help you with the banner, but put your real Hulk in there, you know, basically, which is what I did. And in fact, sometimes I would still like later on, I'd still like Luke Duke to play the Hulk once I got the Dukes of Hazard figures. Because, you know, hey, he kind of had the same haircut as Bill Bixby, you know. So why not? You know, both wore plaid a lot. So, hey, it could work. So so that was that was my kid thinking back then. Uh, that same ad, it's, it's interesting, that same catalog uh, page shows uh, Spidey, which makes sense, Spider-Man. And Superman, Batman, and Robin, you know, in the Hulk hideaway. So they basically brought, you know, come over for a housewarming party, you know. I hope they brought a lot of beans because we all know the Hulk loves beans. Although I'm guessing beans don't love the Hulk and probably not anybody he'd have over to his home. But anyway, yeah. I don't know what happened to my Hulk hideaway playset. It's one of those things that just kind of disappeared. I don't recall it ever getting torn up enough to get thrown out. Again, I think I mentioned before there were some things... At my house, it just kind of disappeared. I don't know if my mom had a wild hair. She usually didn't throw anything out, but or if somebody got in our basement at some point. We we kind of had our suspicions at one time that somebody had gotten in our basement and taken a bunch of boxes of stuff. So either way, it's gone. But I had a lot of fun with it. It's very, very simple, even more simple than the Mego Batcave. But, you know, you had to use your imagination, but it was a lot of fun. And it worked for, like, a you know, a bad guy, you know, hideout. It just looked like some kind of cave lab stronghold thing so you know it could be anything you could even use it as an add-on to your bat cave you know if you wanted to have another wing to the bat cave it works so it was pretty cool my next play set would be far more elaborate and more famous but more on that later first let's pick up the hotline and talk to my batman nightcast partner ryan daly just hear those treads a clanging with bombs a banging boom boom Come on, it's a lovely Christmas with the mobile command center in you. Inside, the Joes are yowing and Cobra's crying boo-hoo. Just listen to Ryan tell you how the G.I. Joe command center is great, too. 
I was too young to get Migos or Star Wars toys at the time, but growing up a child of the 80s, G.I. Joe was the alpha and the omega of my toy collecting. There were tons of betas, deltas, and epsilons, of course. I had damn close to every Transformers and Masters of the Universe toy for a couple of years. And I had pretty decent stacks of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Cops, and Mask toys, too. And there were all the orphans from toy lines that I sampled but never went back for seconds. Like my two Thundercats toys, two Visionaries, three Marvel Secret Wars, and I don't even remember how I got those. And one lone Centurion. Remember Centurions, Chris? There was an absurd amount of action figure toy lines aimed at boys in the 1980s. But if I could only have one, only collect one, my loyalty was to the real American hero, G.I. Joe. My brother Neil began collecting the first wave of three and three-quarter inch G.I. Joes, which were almost all generic green army bodies, except for Snake Eyes and Scarlet. Neil picked them up initially to supplement the Endor Rebel Soldier from Return of the Jedi, but Star Wars toys phased out just as G.I. Joe became more detailed, more diverse, and more interesting. 1986 was the first year I remember getting my own G.I. Joes, no longer forced to play with, and often break, the figures that Neil didn't want to play with. This was the year I graduated to perusing the toy aisles and picking out the ones that I wanted, that were all mine. This was the year of General Hawk and Sergeant Slaughter, of Serpentor and the Battle Android Trooper. It was also the last year Neil and I would have to divide the line, choosing which were his and which were mine, like the NBA draft. With, With the, the second, second pick, pick in the, the third, third round, round Ryan, Ryan Daly selects Mainframe, the computer specialist. The following year, G.I. Joe became exclusively my toy collection. Neil had outgrown it, whereas I was just coming into my own. And what a time to do so. On Christmas morning, 1987, I unwrapped just about the biggest damn box I had ever seen to find the brand new Mobile Command Center vehicle playset. It's the incredible G.I. Joe Mobile Command Center and it's hunting for Cobra. Three levels of awesome Cobra chasing, Cobra fighting power. Level one, army ready to attack! Level two, computer system is go! Engine room, we have full power! Level three, missiles loaded, let's go! Prisoner secured! Go! Rob can bask in his memories of the three-level Death Star. I'll take the three-level Mobile Command Center. The bottom floor, a mechanical engineering garage where you could park the Vamp or the Triple T tank, walk your Joes up the stairs to the second floor, and you had a jail cell, two medical recovery beds, and a whole operation center so that the number six overall draft pick mainframe could finally sit in front of a computer and do his thing. The stairs that led past the jail cell took figures to yet a third floor that included a missile launcher station and a helipad for air vehicles like the Skyhawk to land. Plus, there was the secret escape slide. But what put the mobile in Mobile Command Center was that you could stack all three levels directly on top of each other and seal it shut. And then, the playset drove around on four tank treads like a fully armored missile packing version of the Jawa Sandcrawler. I got tons of G.I. Joe vehicles over the years, and even other bases and playsets, but to this day, I don't think I spent more time playing with, setting up, displaying, 
or engaging with any of them more than I did with the mobile command center. My love for the thing started on Christmas Day 30 years ago. In a way, it's never stopped. Man, I love me some G.I. Joe back in the day. It took me a bit to get into it because I initially scoffed at the all-green military guys. I even passed on the Marvel comic, but that first cartoon miniseries hooked me. Man, did it hook me. I had to go out and buy a Duke and uh, Zartan and Blowtorch, and those were like the first three ones I remember getting. And Zartan was like super cool because his skin changed color and he had masks that you could like, you know, change his face and stuff. And he had a little, little uh, swamp ski thing. Oh, man, that thing was awesome. And, oh, man, poor Zartan. I got to tell this story. Yeah, my dad was always telling me, you know, clean up your toys, son. Don't leave your toys laying around out in the yard. And I was really good about that, me personally. When my friends came over, well, I tended to, when I was a kid, I hate to say it, I tended to run with the pack. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't stick to my guns with them. I didn't say, hey, man, don't be rough with my toys. Don't, you know, pick my stuff up and this and that. And, you know, we were playing G.I. Joe's. We took off to do something else. My dad went to mow the yard, and I come back from wherever I did, whatever I was doing, and my dad came over to me, and he had his something in his hand, and he, I opened my hand up. He said, here, and I opened my hand up, and he dropped what was left of Zartan in my hand. He's like, I'm sorry, son. I told you not to leave stuff out in the yard, and I never got another Zartan. He was already out of production, so <sighs> sucks, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I didn't get a lot of Joes for Christmas. I bought them through the year. You know, they were pretty cheap. You could, you know, and there were so many of them. Uh, my Joe collection centered on the figures more than the vehicles, although I did have some choice ones like the Sky Striker jet. Now, oh, that man, that thing was sweet. I mean, it's like, you know, an F-16, so it was really cool. Uh, my friends and I did exactly what Ryan and Neil did. We would go through the catalog. We'd get a vehicle, like a cheap one. Go through the catalog each year and pick who was going to play whom. I mean, we'd cast G.I. Joe, He-Man, Transformers, superpowers. We would say, okay, like, you know, and, and because, and I will admit this, because most of the toys were mine, and most of the time we played in my yard or at my house, I got first draft pick, uh, to the Steel Ryan's analogy there, and I got to pick who I wanted to be. So I was, I didn't pick Superman, I picked Batman, Batman guy primarily, even though I have a Batman and a Superman show that I co-host on this network, but still, my house is mostly Batman-filled. Uh, but um, I was Optimus Prime, I was Hawk, I was Duke, I was uh, uh, He-Man, I was, uh, let's see, Matt, Matt Tracker from Mask. Uh, so yeah, so there you go. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we would you know all pick. And I had one friend that was all the villains, so I don't know what that said about him. He's a lawyer now. What's that tell you? But anyway... But G.I. Joe was the line that I had basically had three sets of friends. And all three sets of friends, there were two sets of brothers and then one guy off to himself. We all had G.I. Joes. And so when we brought them all together, we had almost everything in the line. It was awesome. I mean, we had some huge, epic battles. And <laughs> my dad still brings up, <laughs> he had winter onions. Who the hell knows what winter onions are? You know, he had a garden, but, you know, after the summer, in the fall, the garden's gone. So, I didn't see any problem with, you know, digging foxholes in his garden to put G.I. Joe's in and, you know, you know, blow up big things of dirt and, you know, 
all you know big explosions going everywhere and rocks and you know and you know bury people and hidden tanks and all you know all that bivouacs and things like that i didn't see any problem with that and we inadvertently dug up his winter onions the hell are winter onions but anyway (laughs) we got a lot of fun out of gi joe i did get the havoc vehicle for christmas in 86 which you know that was when gi joe was getting into the sci-fi elements pretty heavy by this point because that thing never existed anywhere and I think it might have been uh, Retro Blasting, which is a really cool uh, YouTube series I'm sure most of you guys know about. You should check it out. It's a, it's a couple teams. kind of like uh, they were before us, but it's kind of like Supermates on video with All About Toys. So it's, it's a really cool, it's a really cool uh, uh, series that you should check out. And they've been at Dragon Con, so I know Michael Bailey knows them. Uh, so I have to get to Dragon Con sometimes so I can hang out with Michael Bailey and meet those guys. But anyway, they were talking about how the Havoc is kind of ridiculous because it's all armored all over except there's some parts in it where people are just sitting out in the open and Cobra could just like sniper kill like everybody on that thing. So, you know, but by 1987 when the Mobile Command Center came out, I was pretty much out of toys. I was 12 going on 13 that year, so, you know, the pressure was on to stop playing with toys. So, I mean, I still kept my toys until I sold some of them the following year at a yard sale that I still regret. Oh, my God. Including most of my G.I. Joes and Transformers. Ugh. But I had never had the previous G.I. Joe headquarters. The USS Flag, the you know the gr- holy grail of all toy play sets, although I almost bought it. It was 40 bucks at Walmart. And the thing like I retailed for at least 100 and some when it first came out, it was marked down to 40 bucks at Walmart. And it wasn't like year or two later it was like maybe the following year and i guess they just didn't have room for it so they clearanced it to 40 bucks my mom talked me out of it i mean my mom was a super enabler for the most part and she, but she was right where was i literally literally where was i going to put it our house was pretty small i actually had no room to put it i had the money to buy it but nothing to do with it you know so i didn't buy it now i could like sell it and put andrew through college but you know or at least a semester, but oh well. My friends had the battle platform. You know, it looks like kind of like an oil rig. That was cool. So that we kind of used that as our G.I. Joe headquarters a lot. So when the mobile command center came out, even though I was out of G.I. Joe, I thought it was really cool. And yes, I did think it looked like a sand crawler even then. I'm surprised Lucas didn't sue. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a truly great playset. And speaking of great playsets, how's that for a segue? The one Christmas that sticks best in my mind from my childhood, was what I kind of refer to as the great Masters of the Universe Christmas of 1982. Although I would almost swear it was late 1981, but I looked up to see it. the stuff come out in 82. But seemed like I had this stuff before I had knew anything else about Masters of the Universe, so maybe I was just, you know, in a fog with it. But anyway, so that year I got up around 2 a.m. like I always did. After I was about five or so, I never really slept on Christmas Eve. I just stayed awake in my room with my eyes shut and waited for Santa to stop banging around before going to check out what he'd left me. I came into our living room to find Skeletor, the He-Man and Battle Cat gift set, and the Cootie Graw of all toy playsets. Well, except maybe for the flag. Castle Grayskull. What do we have here? It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. That's so fast, Beastman. He-Man! You 
can pit He-Man against Beast-Man playing for the power of Castle Grayskull. You have to put the castle together. Beast-Man's escaping. The throne, Dad. Dad, you saved the castle. Castle Grayskull from the Masters of the Universe collection. He-Man and Beast-Man each sold separately from Mattel. Yes, Santa had left me with the Motu starter pack. Everything essential to the Masters of the Universe line basically in one visit. Now, Masters of the Universe had just debuted that year, and there was no cartoon series as of yet. There was nothing to tell me how to play with these, just the commercials I had seen. And I had actually seen He-Man out at the store in his single package, so I knew how special it was to get him and Battle Cat together. I had never seen that. Santa must have really liked me, and I must have been really good that year because I got an exclusive toy, or so I thought at the time. But my wonderment was tinted with fear. It's legendary on the Fire and Water Network that I was a wiener as a kid, and that comes into play again. Masters of the Universe packaging looked like it came off of a fantasy paperback cover by Frank Rosetta or somebody like him. Muted earthy colors with heavy shadows, you know, skulls, muscles, swords, axes, you know. That box was scary. It scared the bejesus out of me. He-Man, Man-at-Arms, and Tila stood on a ledge looking toward the foreboding skull-faced castle. Inside the drawbridge stood Skeletor. He'd already taken over this fortress of mystery and power for He-Man and his foes, as it said on the box. I always had to wait until a semi-decent hour to wake my parents before actually opening or really touching any of Santa's gifts. So after sitting there and staring at the scary boxes for three hours and looking at my other toys and trying to see what comics were in my stocking... One year I got Who's Who number one. That was great. I guess that would have been Christmas of 80, late 84, I guess. Yeah. I woke my parents and my older sister up around 5 a.m. I showed them what I got. Then my dad drifted back to bed, allowing me to open my stuff. Then my mom dozed back off. Then when they both woke up, they began the task of assembling the castle. Now, I told them I could do it, but they insisted. I guess they were afraid I'd screw it up or something. I don't know. They argued and bickered about it for what seemed like hours, and after that, I vowed to always put my own toys together because I had to finish this thing. I finally just took it away from my hair. Let me see it. You know, and I, and I put it together, and it's really not even... I've put some of my kids' stuff together that's a whole lot more difficult than that, but, you know, your mileage may vary. I never got into Star Wars, but from 1982 to 1986, He-Man was my jam. I religiously watched the cartoon when it debuted, even if Filmation did file the teeth down that the toys in the original mini-comics had. You know, they took a lot of the barbarian fantasy, grisly fantasy stuff out of it. So, yeah, they kind of kiddied it up some, but I still loved it. At every single item in the line until I quit Cold Turkey, it being the first toy line I left behind, partially because the cartoon had kiddied it up. I even had a doctor calm me down by talking to me about He-Man, while he stitched my ripped ear back together. Long story short, I come home from school one day, and my dog, Fonzie, not named after Arthur Fonzarelli, named after something else, but, and it was a girl. My mom named it, anyway. I don't know. But anyway, Fonzie was happy to see me. She was licking me on the face, and I turned away from her, and her tooth caught my ear. I literally ripped my ear in half on her tooth. Um, I screamed. My sister ran in and said, oh my God, the dog bit Chris's ear off. Because <laughs> I was saying, the dog. Well, my mom my mom never panicked. She, you know, got uh, something. She called 
I don't know why they didn't take me to the hospital, the emergency room, but she called the doctor. Uh, you know, she had me hold something on my ear. Uh, we were heading out the door when my dad came in, and I thought, oh, my God, I've seen Old Yeller. I know what's going to happen. Dad's going to take the dog out in the yard and shoot it. And I told him, I said, please, Dad, don't kill the dog. <laughs> don't kill the dog, Dad. And uh, he was like, what the hell's going on? And and Mom's like, Rondo will tell you what's going on. i got to get him to the doctor. So that's what happened. But when I got to the doctor, it wasn't our usual doctor. It was a guy named Dr. Castillo. And uh, Dr. Castillo thought I was about the same age as his son, and he asked me if I liked He-Man. Well, then we had a nice long conversation about He-Man while he literally stitched my ear back back on, back together, whatever you want to call it. It was hanging there in two pieces. Uh, and I still got a scar on my ear, so obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so He-Man was pretty important to me back then. I still have my Castle Grayskull. The drawbridge has a broken hinge. The trapdoor is missing and the throne just kind of sits there. The weapons are gone and some of the closing pins are snapped off, but I don't care. It's mine and I got endless hours of play inside and outside its green plastic walls. Inside the house, out in the garden, in the snow, anywhere. Hey, it had a carrying handle up top. It was meant to go with you. And boy, did it ever. And now for our final guest entry, we'll hear from Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks and Punch Like a Girl podcast here on our Fire and Water Podcast Network. Well, the Atari was quite delightful, but the graphics were often frightful. Nathaniel and his grandma know where to go. Nintendo, Nintendo, Nintendo. When action figure play is stopping, cartridges will be a-poppin'. Games based on Disney afternoon TV shows. Nintendo, Nintendo, Nintendo. Hey everybody, it's Nathaniel Wayne, one half of Punch Like a Girl and head of the Council of Geeks. So, Christmas. Christmas and presents that really stick with you. There's one that I just had to go with. I kept coming back to it in my head. I tried to, I don't know, it's not like I tried to force it to be something else, but I wanted to think of something that maybe clicked more with how the network is. Something more superhero-y, more comic book-y. But no, it's gotta be the Christmas when I was six. And that was when I received my Nintendo Entertainment System. Not only did I get the system and a number of games, really great games, a couple that weren't so good either, but a lot of really good games and my very first issue for what would become a very long subscription to Nintendo Power Magazine, all of which I still have. And I was ecstatic. It was so much fun. I was so excited. I remember, I think, probably playing Chippendales Rescue Rangers the most out of that first batch of games that I got, which uh, included that, I think Gremlins 2, Super Mario Brothers 2, Dragon Warrior. I think I ended up getting DuckTales a little bit later. Might have also gotten that original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, the one that isn't very good. That really... That would be that would go on to not only be a great gift at the time I got it, that defined a lot of my childhood. I was an only child. I kind of needed ways to kill time. Video games were a good way to do that. And I know a lot of people get worried about, you know, isn't it isolating? 
it really wasn't um, because it became something that I bonded with my friends over. We'd take turns playing if it was a single player game. We would play together if it was a two player game. My favorite aspect of all this, I got my grandmother into Nintendo. Christmases growing up were always me, my mother, and my grandparents. So she was, of course, involved in the purchasing of the Nintendo itself, but she ended up getting one to keep at her house because I would spend summers there when I went to day camp. And she got it initially just for me. But then she started messing with it, starting with Tetris, but discovering her true love of Mario. And she was good. Actually, when I was young and Super Mario Bros. 3 came out, I used to have to have her beat Roy Koopa for me because he was a boss who gave me trouble. I would call down from the upstairs, Grandma, can you come beat this boss for me? And she would. She'd come up and she would do it. And she stuck with it, too. She would play Super Nintendo. She bowed out with the N64 because she didn't quite make the leap to 3D. But the Nintendo was that original Nintendo. Um, it's not my favorite system ever. The Super Nintendo is. But that original Nintendo, the thrill of receiving it, what came with it, what it represented in my life, and the and how many good memories I have wrapped up in it that aren't just me alone, you know, sitting in a room playing it. I have genuinely great memories involving other people around that thing. I love it. And I think it was, it's, it's just, it's always going to be the first toy I think of when I think of favorite Christmas gifts. I couldn't pick anything else with a clear conscience. So there we go, folks. Have a joyous solstice and a happy life day. Nintendo was a big deal for me as well. It was the big present of 87 when I was pretty much out of toys, or at least playing with them. I had had the Atari and got that in the early 80s, but as I have mentioned before, Ladies Home Journal or one of those mom rags got to my mother, just like Ralphie, mom, and the BB gun. Ralphie? What would you like for Christmas? Horrified. I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 Range Ball Air Rifle. Ooh. No. Shoot your eye out. Oh, no. It was the classic mother BB gun block. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. That deadly phrase uttered many times before by hundreds of mothers was not surmountable by any means known to kiddom. Her answer when we got it was, it'll burn a pattern into our TV screen. So I had to play it on the tiny black and white TV we had and not the big color one in the den. When I got the Nintendo, I begged my mom, please let me play it on the big color TV. The graphics are so fantastic. Don't make me do this on a black and white. She actually relented. Thank goodness. My dad liked to play combat on the Atari and duck hunt on the Nintendo, but nothing like your grandma, Nathaniel. That's awesome. Grandma kicked butt. Grandmas often kick butt, though. Nathaniel's story about family makes me remember what I really love about those Christmases long ago. The toys, sure, but really the memories of the people who were there when I got them. The traditions we had. The ritual we went through every Christmas. Waiting for after 6 p.m. when my mom would come in from work at the Hallmark store that she managed. She'd always be late because last-minute shoppers wouldn't leave. She'd literally have to push them out the door, wrapping presents, buying stuff last minute. When she'd come in, we'd woof down a bucket of chicken or something that she brought in, you know, and we'd rush into the living room to exchange gifts to one another. Then we'd gather up the snacky foods we had and head down to my grandparents to eat food down there, snacky stuff, 
an open presence there amongst, you know, my cousins, my uncles, aunts, my grandparents. Sometimes we'd leave there late. So late I was often worried Santa had passed us by when we got home at like 12, 1, or sometimes even 2 a.m. Then I got in bed, but of course, never went to sleep. Never, never went to sleep. As much as I cherish the toys I own, I realize that one of the reasons I love them so much is I want to hold on to that time as much as I can. I had a great childhood with a great family. I was one lucky kid, and I had some wonderful toys too. So now that I've gotten all sappy, it's time to say so long. May you and yours have a wonderful holiday season, and I hope each of you find what you want under the tree or around the tree. Thanks to my friends on the network, Rob, Siskoid, Bass, Ryan, and Nathaniel for sharing their Christmas memories. Now let's go make some new ones. Merry Christmas. Next to me in the blackness lay my oil blue steel beauty. The greatest Christmas gift I had ever received or would ever receive. Gradually, I drifted off to sleep, pranging ducks on the wing and getting off spectacular hip shots. When I was just a wee little boy full of health and joy, one Christmas morn and I received a marvelous little toy. A wonder to behold it was with many colors bright. And the first time I laid eyes on it, it became my heart's delight. It went zip when it moved, bop when it stopped, brrr when it stood still. I never knew just what it was and I guess I never will. The first time that I picked it up, I had a big surprise. For right on its bottom were two big buttons that looked like big green eyes. I first pushed one, then the other, then I twisted its lid. And when I set it down again, this is what it did. It went zip when it moved, bop when it stopped, brrr when it stood still. I never knew just what it was, and I guess I never will. It first marched left, then marched right, and then marched under its chair. And when I looked where it had gone, it wasn't even there. I started to cry, my daddy laughed, he knew that I would find. When I turned around, my marvelous toy, a chugging from behind. It went zip when it moved, bop when it stopped, brrr when it stood still. I never knew just what it was, and I guess I never will. Too quickly it seems I have my own little boy And yesterday I gave to him my marvelous little toy His eyes nearly popped right out of his head He gave a squeal of glee Neither one of us knows just what it is But he loves it just like me It still goes it when it moves Bop 
when it stops, when it stands still. I never knew just what it was, and I guess I never will. I never knew just what it was, and I guess I never will.